Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwalt. And I'm Aliana Johnson. Oh, welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Chris? How you doing? I'm on the flip side of my dental procedure. I can still talk. You have all your teeth. Much to, Congratulations. Much to the chagrin of <laughs> many people, I guess. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's uh, I'm, I'm a little bit in book hell, and the part, hard part with book hell is you never know when you if you block out hours to sit and write you never know when you'll be struck with the you you block out these hours and you're like well i guess it's time to make sure that my life insurance is up to date and check on my (laughs) and you're like willing to do anything but the work that's in front of you other times it's 11 30 at night you're exhausted and you're like oh i just got i got it and you have to sit down and that's what i did last night so i'm a little bit of a goonie bird today because I started writing at like 11.30 last night, and then I, I wrote till 2.30 or something. And so I apologize if well, I'm— You're fresh as a damn daisy today. I apologize if I'm a goofus. How about you? What What is the worst part of doing a book? The worst part about doing a book, if you are me, is that you do not enjoy—I'm a lazy person. And you do not enjoy your laziness because even when you're procrastinating—this is why I say like you're, you're updating your life insurance— even when you're procrastinating, you're not enjoying it because you're like, Ugh, I should just be writing things that I will delete later. But I should be there, – there is a – I'll put it this way. In my culture, there is a problem about taking pleasure when you – guilty pleasure is worse than no pleasure at all. Is, do, you, do you agree? Is that true for you also? Yes. Yes, yes. Totally yes, true. Yes, yes. So – you are, uh, I found it hilarious. I before I forget, my mom commented that she really liked last week's episode and basically said that I was much more pleasant because I took a Xanax. Xanax. <laughs> well, we're, we've got it in here. It's like a Skinner box. There's a there's a lever on the wall. Eliana can hit the lever to get a Xanax anytime. She wants. I wish, I wish. But uh, I, it was I, a one day thing. I want to I want to say something uh, publicly that I uh, told you privately. You know, you're in the home stretch. We're coming down to the end of the year, and you're getting close to the big day. And just, you know, you've really done a good job. You've done way more than you should have. You've worked too hard. You've been too busy. You've scheduled too much. And you have still survived. And uh, I'm I'm very impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what to say. Just take the compliment. Thank you. You just take, put it over your shoulder and, and, and move thank on. Thank you. I told Chris last night we were texting. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've, like, totally hit an emotional brick wall. Like, physically, you know, I'm still walking and everything. But, but like, I might have a breakdown at any moment. But. I will be completely checked out once this baby comes. So it's great. You guys so. are gonna have. You guys are gonna be besties. Yeah. Okay. Should we get to it? This is what we've got on our front page. <laughs> Stories that we thought were most important this week. I think it was kind of a light week, given that our top story is Chris Wallace's departure from Fox News to CNN Plus. Well, Chris, you're the former Fox. The other. The other Fox <laughs> News. The other ex Fox News, Chris person what's your bounce on this well we will talk more there's other fox news to talk about this week that will come up in the obsessions about certain text messages that were sent by certain text certain hosts to certain white house chiefs of staff (laughs) but uh, let me just say 
Chris Wallace is, and I, you know, God, are we going to have to go through like a tongue bath for Chris Wallace? Well, yeah, and yeah. the first thing I would say, and I forget where I guess we this happened after we wrapped last week, but I told somebody in an interview he is the best interviewer on television. There's only one thing television can do. Not one thing. Television is good for immediacy. It's good for a lot of things for communal experience, but interviewing is what television is best for because it's the same reason that televised debates have are different is you are on camera being asked questions in hopefully a polite but adversarial way. And it's it's a lie detector test, right? You're on camera and if you have a informed and by the way, one of the Chris Wallace I, I know acknowledges this uh, but his team of researchers, his team and and his and his lead researcher, especially Lori, shout out Lori, is uh, just the best, uh, amazingly good. So he's well prepared, and he asks he does something that very few people do, and this is the most important kind of questioning to have, and the kind that we have too little of, which is friendly or amiable, hard questioning. We have a lot of questioning in TV that is fake tough, which is to say. You have an you have an adversarial but unserious questioning that ends up basically being left has right on and left says why are you so terrible why are you such a fascist and then right says oh that's how you are I knew how you'd ask that question fake news or you can do it the other way uh, right has some hippie on and does some hippie punching and blah 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 Chris Wallace asks questions in a respectful thoughtful way but then he makes them stick and that's the tongue bath. Okay. Um, <laughs> my take is as follows. couple things. I think he's a very good interviewer. I agree, like, a lot of under- other interviews are bad, mostly because the interviewers talk too much, and they're mm-hmm. not actually interested in hearing the responses. Yep. And then they don't, like, challenge the answers yep. that are given. So he's a good interviewer. One thing I don't understand about these TV people is, like, Chris Wallace, you're, you're good. You had a wonderful career. You're 74. Mm-hmm. Really? You need, like, another gig? And I realize this is not unique to him, but it is amazing to me. Like, he's got a family and grandchildren, and we see him on the show. Like, I'm amazed that he needs another gig. Second, oh, he's made a lot. He hasn't been, like, super public. He has been, I assume the leaks come from him, public about his dissatisfaction with the direction of Fox News. So, like, he thinks the answer to what ails him is CNN. I find that to be, like, so undermining of the, you know, bleep this about Fox News that you think, like, oh, I'm going to flee to CNN. I mean, give me a break. Well, uh, yes, I, I certainly take I, I certainly take your point. But I'll also say it's hard for me to imagine. So on the one hand, when people do thirsty and desperate things uh, to remain famous— even though they've been famous, it is a bad thing. And I dislike this. On the other hand, do you foresee yourself ever retiring? I hope so. I hope not. I, I mean, I, I th- I, the, the way I look at it, I think it changes over time. You know, my dad never retired. He, he, he sold coal and he sold it really well. And he loved doing it and he loved his customers and he loved the people he worked with and he loved the business and he uh, his his main interest after my mother died were shooting dice at the dog track casino in Wheeling West Virginia and selling coal 
and he was in the hospital. He was only he was only sick for a short period of time, but in the hospital, still making sure that his contracts were honored. He didn't work all the time, but he always worked. I think it was also helpful for him to have a secretary. I think it was also helpful for him to have a place, especially after my mom was gone. It's the the saying that my sister taught me is every human being needs the same three things regardless of their age. They need someone to love, they need something to do, and they need something to look forward to. And I love- I'm so big on something to look forward to. I totally need something to look forward to. Looking forward to it is like 90% of everything. And I'm looking forward to being an old fart. So uh, do you think it's going to be disappointing when this baby comes? Because I just look forward to the baby. I'll be like, oh, you now she's here. You can't even not- fathom how good it's going to be. You can't fathom liking a person as much as you're going to like this baby. You can think about it, but you, when you meet the baby, you're like, you are amazing. I can't believe that you're alive. I hope because I was just telling these guys, I shouldn't even say this. I was just telling these guys uh, off the air that I realized the the like point of the ultrasound exercise is not to produce cute pictures for me but us it was kind of a letdown yes uh, it's a very like, it's a cute i'm peanut. not so sure it's about that peanut. profile your peanut, is, your peanut is cute but i'm just you, kidding but dude. you see but you see my point about wallace right i do see your pain point i just think there's plenty of things to do that aren't like exactly what you've done in the past well give it a shot right let's see what i'm i'm sure i'll put it this way He's in my book. He's earned the benefit of the doubt, and if he feels like he can, and the, you know, we're going to find out whether these pluses work for news. So Fox has the Fox Nation home of the Patriot Awards, and CNN is trying CNN Plus, and they're spending a lot of money to do it, and Discovery okay. Plus, and all that stuff. So I call it it's like Medicare Part D. Well, I won't be watching, but I guess we'll be covering it if he if he has a good interview. But I wait, had I, this I had this funny my one Chris Wallace memory okay. from my time at Fox was it it relates to like how the tables have turned and things have changed there, which was I'm sure you remember this. I pulled up the Atlantic article from 2011, which was, I guess, near the end of my time. And this was during, in the run-up to the 2012 presidential election. And we should play this clip of Chris Wallace's interview with Michelle Bachman. Do you remember that? Where he asked her, are you a flake? The rap on you here in Washington is that you have a history of questionable statements, some would say gaffes, ranging from talking about anti-America members of Congress to on this show a couple of months ago when you suggested that NATO airstrikes had killed 30, up to 30,000 civilians. Are you a flake? Well, I think that would be insulting to say something like that because I'm a serious person. Um, but you I, understand when I say that, that that's what the, the rap on you is. It was like so sexist. Oh, what? Are you a flake? Are you think he would ever ask a dude that? Yes, a dude as flaky as Michelle Bachman. Oh, I don't think. I you don't think, think flake so. is a gender I don't think, term? Yeah, I do. Yeah, totally. Not at all. Oh, I think it's gendered. No, I seen, I, I, I call, I'm an equal opportunity flake okay. describer. Well, here's my story. Okay. So I recall getting an order from on high that. You know, Roger Ailes was very upset about this. Okay. It was not happy with Chris and this, Wallace. And this was the reality as perceived in uh, Hannity land. You were working yeah, in, I, I was, in, we in Afghanistan. We, yeah, <laughs> we were told to, like, slam Chris Wallace and throw him under the bus Well, Sean's this. hatred of Chris Wallace is, I, I don't know if it was ever, pub, I assume it's been publicly reported on, but that well, was a, a, a white I mean, one of the things, one of the things that surprised me, I, I didn't, you don't realize till you're in Fox, is it's not like Sean's hatred of Chris Wallace. It's like this Fox News, any Fox News is hatred of any other Fox News host. Like they all freaking hate each other because they're all competitors. 
We, it, it felt different. I can tell this is well. The primetime hosts they all, they compete against okay, each other, right. That's what I was and the primetime versus news like they have contempt for the other because the primetime hosts think we make all the money, and the news people think, Well, we, we report we the news always, and you're hacks. We were always surprised, and uh, boy, we're I'm sorry we're sliding way off topic, and, the, and we'll get back to this with the Mark Meadows text, but. Something happened. The, the change that I observed over my years at Fox was that for a long time, we were not we were in, we were tolerated. Right, the news division was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- there was a li- there was a little dismissiveness toward us. Like, oh, okay, fine, fancy capital J journalist, whatever you want to do, and probably some of that scorn was deserved. Over time, that shifted to something else, and it became contempt. Right. Then there was actual contempt and contempt from who to whom from from programming to news. And that and you could boil it down a different way. You could say geographically from New York to Washington, because most of the news is in most of the news. Oh, I think I think there was contempt from from the news folks to the primetime folks, too. Like, I remember Sean Shepard Smith having these. Well, Shep was a was. a different like he was a new he's definitely new york he was he was definitely new york and not washington uh it, but it was so funny like the contempt on both sides and i will say the one other person um and i did not finish the chris wallace story oh but, please do i want, but, I want to hear that but the one other person who had these hilarious off off-air interactions that were like both people were just throwing darts at each other and it looks very funny in retrospect was sean and anthony weiner who is one of the only democrats who do the show but weiner was so insulting and truly and vicious behind the scenes yeah it was like crazy and in retrospect it looks so funny like he had no legs to stand on to to say those things but Oh, the Chris Wallace thing. Yeah, it did give me insight into the fact that Roger was always playing his people off of each other. It is and- true, but also, but also there is a thing of uh, the individual fiefdoms inside Fox, especially in New York, especially for programming, were uh, tribal, tribal, tribal. Okay, moving on. We will keep you posted on Chris Wallace's foray into over-the-top streaming, whatever it is. I, I wish him well. I'm so proud. To, I'm so proud to have worked with him, and, and very so proud to call him a friend. He's. And I, wish him, I wish him the best. He deserves it. You know, I like to focus on the negative, but but great interviewer. This this one I uh, this this one came. We're, I'm, I'm by the way, everybody. Where can they email us at wretches at wretches podcast? You got it. Dot com. Uh, wretches. Yeah. I knew that the whole time I was testing you. Wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. And I would encourage everybody to offer us our suggestions because I know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I am lazy and I am not here to try to do work that you will do for me. But a uh, this was shared with me by a listener. Uh, let's hear what Jake Tepper and Amy Klobuchar had to say about Ted Cruz's face. You're a breast cancer survivor. Um, you're still recovering, I guess. Uh, no, I'm, I'm 100%. You're 100% now. better, but you're still at risk of infection because of, of, because of this, this fight that you, you won. What was going through your mind there where Ted Cruz pulls up next to you and doesn't have a mask on, even though the rules are, please wear a mask. You, you wear the masks to protect other people. I think people should wear masks, especially when they're in settings when they're supposed to. I think part of our duty as civic leaders um, is actually to model behavior um, because it's not just about masks. It's also about vaccines. And Ted Cruz, you know, he's gotten a vaccine. He gets that. Um, and part of what I don't want to get lost here is why we were there. We were there to honor uh, Bob Dole and his memory. 
Bob Dole was all about consensus, bringing people together. And let's not forget that. So I want to start out by saying Amy Klobuchar deserves some kudos for pushing <laughs> pushing back on the premise a little bit. But Paul Jake, Monitor of the Year. Jake Tapper's thirst to make that a personality-driven conflict is crazy, number one. And number two, it is so amazing. they're both like- unmasked sitting with each other. <laughs> I understand that the rules at the CNN studio do not require that they be masked if they are sitting But he there. presents it as like a mortal danger that he yeah. sat down next to her. As if also, if it were true, she's not perfectly capable of standing up. And and, and, is, and when he tries up. to use her breast cancer as a weapon, <laughs> you're immunocompromised, Senator. And she, and she says, "I'm good." This was a grave assault yeah, on was, your health. And, and I, I think it is like so niggling and like and it, annoying. And and it is uh, unserious and personality driven, and it's not about issues. It's about hating Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is eminently there's a million reasons for people to hate Ted Cruz. I understand he he makes it only too easy for his critics. He Being had, vaccinated and sitting down unmasked next to Amy Klobuchar is not. But the idea him. that CNN oh, no, the idea that in this in this clip that Jake Tapper is scolding Cruz for not wearing a mask while not wearing a mask is while I understand why the, the situations are different. It's the rules. It's right. the rules. Right. I understand why the situations are different, but that he doesn't understand the problem is kind of the problem. You know, my so my husband and I have this conflict, and my sister and her husband also have this conflict. My husband is such a rule follower. And he is. I am not he a rule evident. follower when the rules do not make sense. So <laughs> one of our fights. Situational iconoclast, one of Eliana our, Johnson. One of our fights was, like, all these people are lining up that, like, we're, we're getting on a plane and they're like group one boarding, you know, and like a thousand people board the plane. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, ah, Patrick, I'm pretty sure all these people aren't in group one. I'm boarding. And he like literally stays behind while I board the plane Good to board in his group. We're trying to have a civilization. I mean... <laughs> now, can't you, though, as a pregnant person? as, as... Oh, I told him. I mean, the airport the, the first was like thing a they third say... world country. Yeah, yeah. No, he wouldn't do that. What's That's the first like... thing they say? They're like. Basically, and you now it's assistance. anyone. It's like, was your dad in the army? Yeah. Do you feel safely <laughs> totally. today? Are you? Do, no, do he you feel do sad? That. He felt. He felt very awkward. Would not do that. God forbid. It's like I wouldn't want him to suffer awkwardness. You know, for his pregnant. But wife if you weren't pregnant, if you weren't pregnant, the uh, if you're a group four trying to get in group one, group one has a message for you: get out, get go away. This is we paid extra well, money. Not to on be this here. flight. Um, Where was it? Like a third world country you were from? It was from? like this was over the summer at oh, okay. uh, at Reagan, and there was like no place to sit, and I was having a meltdown. Of course, when they really I, put the international in the. I was being yeah. I was being super dramatic about it, Philly. Like. You okay, no. Chris? Next item is yours too. Oh yeah, this is interesting. I, I don't really. Well, first of all, I want to say shout out for a great, great name for the investigation was Operation Whistlepig. <laughs> <laughs> It really now, is. Now, a whistle pig, for those of you who do not know, is the German name for groundhog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a groundhog is a whistle pig. By the way, you know the greatest, the Germans are great animal namers, and their name for a raccoon is a wash, washing bear, a waschen bar, because the raccoons, which are related to bear, wash their food before they eat it. So they called the raccoons the waschen bar. But anyway. Well, that's on someone's trivia card tonight. Yeah, exactly. We, we once made a movie with model tanks. My sons and I once made a movie with uh, model tanks that we called 
uh, night of the uh, night of the deadly uh, raccoon, and it was like knocked umdem uh, vashenbar, and it was really hilarious and fun. Anyway, the Operation Whistle Pig. Uh, this is inside the secret CBP unit with no rules that investigates Americans. And this is the story of inside the, and I want to get it right for, you know, why not live it up. And this is an investigation from Yahoo News, and it's based on the findings of the FBI. And it tells the story of how Allie Watkins, who was a reporter at Politico, was- My colleague there. Okay, so this- We'll see how this checks out for you, that she was a target of an investigation from a sort of inside uh, Homeland Security at the Customs and Border Protection that were targeting journalists, allegedly. Well, here's the, the read. Yet documents obtained by Yahoo News, including an inspector general report that spans more than 500 pages and includes transcripts of interviews that investigators conducted with those involved, emails and other records, reveal a far more disturbing story than the targeting of a single journalist. The man, whose real name is Jeffrey Rambo, worked at a secretive Customs and Border Protection division. The division, which still operates today, had few rules and routinely used the country's most sensitive databases to obtain the travel information and financial and personal information of journalists, governmental officials, congressional members, and their staff, NGO workers, and others. So the allegations here are pretty chilling. But uh, I like the name Jeffrey Rambo. Jeff, well, if, you, if, if you're working on Operation Whistlepig, I would hope that you have a cool name like Jeffrey Rambo. But two things that I will say. One is the government has way too many investigatory powers, including like at the post office. Uh, gross. Stop it. Number two, I'll say, I'll say the thing that is tedious but important to say, which I feel like is my job half of the time. But uh, the tedious but important thing to say is the chilling effect that this can have on journalists is real. Right. If the if the consequence, if the federal government has the power in an office for whatever purpose to snoop on journalists, it is a discouragement of journalism. And that's not a good thing. Whistle pig. You're on a roll. You're on a roll. You got the mansion item. Well, they're all our items. Together we I share know, them. I knew it takes that's a, like your trope, but in it, reality, these are it takes a village selected them. It takes a village to make a rundown. So <laughs> earlier this week, the Washington Post, and I'm sorry to be bad. I, I I feel like I bag on the Washington Post way too much, but it is it is the least good of America's national newspapers. But then again, who who am I to say? So headline Monday, Washington Post, Manchin cites a blind trust to justify climate votes, but much income from his family's coal company isn't covered. Dun, dun, dun. And the story makes the only possible explanation for his opposition to this. The 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 very arch, impossible to miss allegation that runs through the story is that Joe Manchin's filthy lucre that he is obtaining from his family's coal investments is might be driving his resistance to saving the planet. Like he is sitting there warming his hands over a lump of burning coal and saying, I don't care what happens to the ice shelf. Ha 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 ha. This is, and then later in the week, there's a style piece from the Washington Post about Joe Manchin. One year of, quote, President Manchin for the Democratic agenda, all roads go through West Virginia. And it is a long, long, snarky hit piece in the style section from Ben Terrace about just all all that's wrong about Joe Manchin. 
and what I have observed. Ben, ben is snarky, but what are some examples of the Another reason it's good to be an ersatz president instead of a real one, you have a veto on legislation that would affect the whole country, but only have to answer the voters in a single state. Mansionologists, the sprawling network of friends, former staffers, close colleagues, and journalists that chart his every move, will say the senator is motivated by some combination of what he thinks is good for West Virginia, an extraordinarily right-wing state, and what is good for him in West Virginia, and a desire to make his current job more like his old job as governor, which he left 11 years ago to join the Senate and is known to pine for on occasion. The allegation, the, the Post has a thing about Mansion. And more so than the Times, more so than other places, they do. And I know West Virginia technically is part of its broader coverage area, reaching out into the panhandle. I understand why that could be a factor. But golly gosh, they are obsessed with Joe Manchin. My rejoinder to that is, isn't the obsession kind of merited, the scrutiny? Well, uh, here's the thing. I believe... Like, yes, I get the context. Narrow majority and... All the votes matter, and cinema's important, too. But, I mean, he kind of is the I think, vote on this. I think Bernie Sanders believes what he believes. I think that Bernie Sanders does sincerely think it would be good for the country to spend $9 trillion on social welfare programs right away. I think he believes that that's true. I don't think that it's because he is sucking up to voters or because he's whatever. I think that that's true. The fact that nobody can say that, that Joe Manchin feels the same, not nobody, I'm sorry, that's hyperbolic, that there is such a willingness to say that Manchin doesn't believe what he believes. Oh, I totally agree with that. That that there's not a good faith granting here. If you think that the reason that Joe Manchin is not saving Gaia with his vote for Build Back Better, if you think that that is because his family owns a coal company, totally then agree with you. you're not paying attention. And Joe Manchin has been... I, I, I feel like your distinction is... Like the volume of the coverage versus the like arguments in the coverage, which I totally agree with you on the arguments in the coverage. They're stupid. And and even if he doesn't believe it, he's reflecting the views of his constituents, which is like totally understandable, which is totally understandable. But but I would I would take issue with both the volume and the nature in this sense, which is we know how it is. And look, Manchin profits by this massively. Right. Being it's sort of like when they say that social media companies are doing this and doing this. And it's like, well, yeah, you're also calling them God. So no wonder that they feel like they're really powerful. So yes, Manchin benefits by everybody in West Virginia. What could be better in West Virginia than having the entire national media be like, yeah. oh, Joe Manchin, why are you destroying the future by refusing to ban coal? And it, it, so it all works for him. And I'm not saying he doesn't like it or benefit from it, but it's too much and it's too cynical. Our final item in on the front page is Dr. Oz, who apparently told Michael Smirkanish of CNN that he cannot do interviews anywhere but on Fox News. Dr. Oz, of course, the latest entrant into the Pennsylvania Republican Senate primary, hotly contested. He's bought a, he's bought a house in Pennsylvania. He's he, ready to go. It's actually his mother-in-law's house. Very nice. Yeah, his mother-in-law's house in Pennsylvania. And... Um, he says Fox would be unhappy if he did interviews with CNN. So Smirkanish on his radio show. How do you do? You like Smirkanish? I pay very little attention to him. I have to say that among I, I guess I identify him on the left more than the right. But I really have I admire I, I admire his jam. I think he does try to ask decent questions, and I think he doesn't engage in as much motivated reasoning as some. And he's been filling in for Andrew Cuomo, and I actually 
watched a, or yeah, Chris Cuomo. <laughs> Thank you, Samantha. <laughs> I mean, Goldstein. I mean, same difference. How good, how good a job is he yeah, doing? He's now the governor slip. of New York. That's yeah. <laughs> that's how good a job Smirkanish has done. No, but I, I watched, I watched. That's a, like quite the demotion. He's now the disgraced sexual harasser. He's COVID. Smirkanish isn't even Italian, so he doesn't have the "I'm not a pervert, I'm just Italian" excuse to fall back on. So you know what can you do? No, the. Um, Smirkanish has been filling in, and I, I watched a clip of it, and it was good. And anyway, he says that he was at a Christmas party, and he ran into Mehmet Oz, and, uh, and he said, hey, I want to get you on my radio show. And Oz said, oh, I can't do it because they'll be mad at me at Fox. I can come on your show after the primary. Waka waka. That's it? Well, I mean, it's a race ipsa loquitur, right? I mean, the, we could make I could make some breathy point about – uh, Fox News and the power in Republican primaries, but the fact that candidates are pre-programmed—they—they they know, right? They don't even—they don't even have to. There's, there's no, no handbook is necessary. Well, I think we're going to see how true this actually is in the Ohio Republican primary, where J.D. Vance obviously had a leg up in terms of his exposure yeah. on Fox News, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I think it, I, you know I have to say it's true, and the and watching. Ron DeSantis dismember Adam Putnam in the Florida gubernatorial primary by running a Fox only primary. But I think you got to have the right approach for the right time. And if I were Oz with Smirkanish, who has a heavy following in the Philly area that he's based out of, if I'm him, I'm going to want to be on Smirkanish and I'm going to want to talk to some of those voters, even for the primary, but whatever. All right, Chris, we are ready for our obsessions of the week. stories that we couldn't get out of our heads chris you are up first well this is the uh, this is this i guess has been i I poached what is probably i guess the biggest media story of the week uh for my obsession so i'm sorry about sorry very sorry about that uh fox news host sent text to meadows urging trump to act as january 6th attack unfolded let's listen here to a little bit of so well, first, let's start with what the text said, just so that we're getting it on the record. Laura Ingram texted to Meadows, Mark, the president needs to tell the people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy. Kilmeade said to Meadows, uh, please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished. Hannity texted, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol? This is, of course, in addition to the saddest Part of the, the 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 most sad trombone part of the story, which is that Donald Trump's son also texted. Yeah, that was that was his father's chief of staff. Would you tell my dad to tell the rioters to stop uh, pooping in wastebaskets at the Capitol? <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. This is this is, and you, you get like a flashback to uh, Donnie Trump uh, leaving messages with his dad's secretary twenty years ago. Yeah. Right? Please tell Daddy I thank him for the cool new shotgun he got me for my birthday. The The question then becomes, there were some people who criticized Ingram and Kilmeade and Hannity for being in bed with the, what are they doing? And I saw a lot of commentary, not a lot, I saw some commentary to this end. What are they doing being involved in this, blah, 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 blah. Let's have a full stop. If you think that Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity are, are are posing as independent journalists, 
this is not true. Yeah, and like Andrew Cuomo and right. and all these people, the, the, if, if, totally unsurprised. If this was the one that you were like, you mean that Sean Hannity, who appeared, was friends with Donald Trump, you, you, and like, you mean to tell me that Sean Hannity, who advice? appeared at a Republican campaign rally, do you mean that Sean Hannity is not on the left anyway? So I don't care about that part. The part that is material. Do you think Tucker's absence from this? I think Tucker would. I'm gonna. I'm, how about this? The text messages that would actually be interesting to see, and I don't know whether Tucker Carlson texted Donald Trump or not, but Trump's text messages from that day would be the really interesting ones to see. Those yes. would be the really interesting ones to see. But and but that is a much, I don't, I don't know. But the the case for privilege there goes runs a little deeper anyway. The and the backstory here is the January sixth commission subpoenaed the text, got the text, read the text. And Meadows is refusing to comply with the subpoena. and or The subpoena is soon to come. He says he's going to fight it. We'll see. But the journalistic question is, or the media business question is, by the end of the day, and let's listen to it here, and by the end of the day and in the days that followed, the take from those Fox News personalities. You wouldn't have known that this is what they were saying to the White House behind the scenes. By the by the end of the day and in the days that followed, the Fox News personalities that we read in those texts had changed from talking about what a grave, consequential thing this is to spinning it for Republicans to mitigate the damage to Republicans. Now, Laura Ingram's a Republican. Sean Hannity's a Republican. They make no secret of that. She worked for Republicans. Hannity raises money. He goes to events. This is them. That is whatever. But if you are a party organ to such a degree that you are spinning almost in real time, January 6th is not the most important thing that happened in human history. But of the major historical events of the 21st century in the United States, it's up on the list. Uh, it's not 9-11. But it's it's in the top five. I, I you know we could talk about where it where it ranks, but it is something we will remember. Everybody listening to this will remember their whole lives that January sixth took place. Whether it's the beginning of a very bad phase or or a an outlier, we will always remember it. Spinning it is an understandable desire for Republicans, but it's not it's not even helpful. So it's not good from a wholesome media practice point of view to say one thing in private and do another thing in public. But beyond the allegations of hypocrisy, there's a more serious thing, which is it's not even good for the party that they say that they're trying to help to not process and get through this. It's been less than a year. Deal with it in a forthright, upfront man, process it and move on. Quit trying to duck it. And to say like, well, we think this is a catastrophe for yeah. the party. It does demonstrate that they're that that they are afraid of Trump and well blowback. Can I give them a they, little? Can, sure, can I give them a little sure. more credit than that? Uh, yes, they're afraid of Trump, but they're they're greedy and self interested too, right? So they're afraid of Trump, but they're like, okay, if this is they want to be where the wind is blowing, and at the beginning, that I you know what it reminds me of? Access Hollywood. All of the people who are like, you must drop out at Reince Priebus, all of these mm -hmm. people like, you must drop out of the race for the sake of the party and do the right thing. And then 48 hours goes by and they're like, eh, we're getting away with it? Are we Are we doing the grab them by the whatever? Okay, let's do it. Let's go for it and see if it happens. So that's one thing if you're inside a party and that's your job. But don't you dare go on television and hold yourself out as any kind of independent analyst or arbiter 
and in private acknowledge the, 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 the gravity of this situation and then in public say it's Antifa. Boo. <laughs> what I'm hearing, and this is from a group who came all the way from Portland, Oregon, believe it or not, where we're always thinking about Antifa and other protests. I do not know Trump supporters that have ever demonstrated violence that I know of in a big situation. We also knew that there's always bad actors that will infiltrate large crowds. I don't care if they're radical left, radical right. I don't know who they are. They're not people I would support. We turn now to me. As, my as, obsession. As well, we should. And my obsession, which is the epic New York Times correction <laughs> issued two days ago on December 13th. This is when we need, like, John Hausman or someone to come in and give a dramatic reading of... It is really special, and I was telling Chris before that this is, like, a great time to ask, do you issue a correction, or do you retract the article, or do you write a new article? Please because read, this is really read. more than a correction. Please read the correction. So, this New York Times article was originally published about a month ago on November 16th with the headline... In, and this, this remains the headline on the piece... In Gaza, a contentious Palestinian professor calmly teaches Israeli poetry. Now, by the way, fascinating story. Can't wait to dig into that. Can't wait that, to that dig great, in. That okay, so the Times correction, and I'm gonna have to read it in full. Editor's note: After publication of this article, Times editors reviewed additional information that is at odds with this art with the article's portrayal. Of the professor, a literature professor at Islamic University in Gaza, who was described as presenting Israeli poems in a positive light, in the class witnessed by a Times reporter. Record scratch. That's yeah. where you the re you're like, yeah. what? So, <laughs> so he did so in a class witnessed by a Times reporter. Which can you imagine? This guy might have been uh, acting a bit differently in the presence of a New so, York Times to reporter. To translate the to translate the lead. We wrote a story about how sweet and enlightened yeah. this Palestinian professor is in praising Jews to his Palestinian students. Uh, so they, the original story said called, the professor called, the called, called, yeah. called the poems beautiful and said they underscored the shared humanity of Israelis and Palestinians. However, in a video of a class from 2019, he called the same poem horrible. And dangerous, saying that although it was aesthetically beautiful, it brainwashes readers by presenting the Israelis as innocent. He also discussed a second Israeli poem, poem which he called dangerous, adding, This kind of poetry, poetry is in part to blame for the ethnic cleansing and destruction of Palestine. When the Times asked the professor about the discrepancy, he denied that there was a substantial change in his teaching. Um... In light of this additional information, editors have concluded that the article did not accurately reflect the professor's views on Israeli poetry or how he teaches it. Well, that was the whole article, his views on Israeli poetry and how he teaches it. So it says, had the Times done more extensive reporting on Mr. Mr. Alarir, the professor, the article would have presented a more complete picture. No, there would have been no article. It wouldn't have been a more complete picture, but I had so many thoughts on this, which is like, this is when you have to retract an article and say we can't stand by the article. My other thoughts were like, I mean, maybe this transformation between 2019 and 2021 is just demonstrates the success of like the DEI programs in Gaza. And should we have like a different frame on this article about who is the DEI trainer or like what is the firm at work in Gaza? Spreading the light. DEI? Diversity, equity, inclusion. Oh, I didn't Seriously, know. Seriously, man? I didn't, I didn't know. 
Uh, I'm sure AEI has a lot of these people at work here. Well, uh, I and I want I want to be clear. I'm complying with whatever I I, I I wish to comply. But the what what strikes me here, of course, is this is a story. I'm sympathetic to editors of overseas reporters because you're like I got a beautiful piece. It's the fluff. It's the kind of Sunday paper fluff filler that anybody's gonna love. And you, you know what we would call this? And, the, like, no reason to be skeptical about this piece well, from but, the get-go, but, right? But this this is what we'd call in the news business, too good to check. Yeah. Where you're like, so let me get this straight. You got a Palestinian professor praising Jewish poets. I like it. Tell me more. <laughs> 2,000 words later with, you know, a beautiful uh, photography. And here is a culture piece, an interesting piece. And if it weren't for the people who I'm sure readers in Israel or wherever who emailed the the times immediately and said what yeah they like put the guy's name in youtube yeah they're like what did you say and it's like yeah see he's liking the jews there and their poetry so you like it and they're like no this is what he really is like and when when the times professor left the classroom when he wasn't in the classroom this is what he was the, like the when alex haley got busted for making up roots and lots and lots of roots he the part that he that he mostly faked was claiming some sort of that it was his ancestors and that the, this was like rooted in some genealogical scholarship when it was not but he said something to the effect of it's he said it's a it's a lie but it's a lie we can believe in or something like that it's a myth that we can believe in i forget exactly the term this also goes to the Dan Rather response on the Bush National Guard memos, and the New York Times described that as fake but accurate. These documents were fake, but it's accurate. So very often you have a story, and, and, and I've done it, you're, you're telling a story that is incomplete, hopefully without your knowledge, but you're, you're telling a story that you know on some level has to be incomplete, but you're trying to make it into a parable, right? You're trying to make it into something else, and then you do this, and, and in the modern era, people go, uh, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. That was that was wonderful. Chef's kiss, New York Times. I'm actually surprised they even corrected it. What is it of, of other New York? Do you have any other New York? New, the New York Times oh, correction so is, a Times is a subgenre. Is a subgenre. We should of, just do a whole episode on New York Times. New York the greatest, Times greatest New NYT exams. corrections. Um, Chris, it is your favorite time of the week, where I have to say something nice, but you lead by example. This was very easy this week, but but as always. Well, I love, I don't know if anybody remembers, we had an episode this year called about Jean Leboeuf. Where is the Leboeuf? I love the restaurant review as a Jean. I mean, I love, obviously, I treat my body like uh, a temple, but sometimes I do like to go out to eat. I, fi- I find uh, restaurant reviews and food reviews a off. A, a sometimes one- Chris veers off the keto. You'll be surprised to hear. A wonderful, a wonderful, there's wonderful work that's done in this space. But it's also some of the cringiest, most awful kind of work that's done, too. It's overblown. It's hysterical. But there is a writer, a travel writer named Geraldine Deroutier, who has a blog called The Everywhereist. So she wrote a review of, so for people who are normal, the Michelin Guide, which is the same as the, uh, the original, was the same as the Michelin Tire Company. Uh, but the Michelin Guide is, it was a t- tourist guide for France. And then over time, their restaurant reviews became the gold standard for the industry. And to have even one Michelin star is considered very high praise. There's only a hand, there's like five in Washington that have one Michelin star. So anyway, here's her just, I just love this woman. It's just so great. 
There is something to be said about a truly disastrous meal, a meal forever indelible in your memory because it's so uniquely bad. It can only be deemed an achievement, the sort of meal where everyone involved was definitely trying to do something. It's just not entirely clear what. I'm not talking about a meal that's poorly cooked or a server who might be planning your murder, the sort of thing that happens in the fat lump of the bell curve of bad. Instead, I'm talking about the long tail stuff, the sort of meals that make you feel as though the fabric of reality is unraveling, the ones that cause you to reassess the fundamentals of capitalism and whether or not you're living in a simulation in which someone failed to properly program this particular restaurant, the ones where you you just know someone's going to lift a metal dome off a tray and reveal a single blue or red pill. I'm talking about those meals. And she goes on to destroy is an overused, now meaningless term. She goes on. Uh, she, well, she goes tell on them what the meal is. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Uh, well, let's see. I'll get the. I'll get to the the, sh the short part. Uh, this is the newser description. A Derudier and her friends went to the restaurant for dinner and were served 27, quote, courses over more than four hours. The courses included edible paper slivers, dollops of meat molecules, served via eyedroppers, quote, frozen air, which melted before it could be eaten, shots of vinegar, a tablespoon of crab, and fried cheese balls with what the servers emphasized was, quote, rancid ricotta. At one point, they were served, quote, reconstituted orange slices alongside actual orange slices, but the latter were only for decoration and not to be eaten. Derudier writes that she felt like she was, quote, a character in a Dickensian novel because I cannot impart this enough. There was nothing even close to an actual meal served. And so it was so great. It, she's obviously gifted that she could write this so well, and I will be following her henceforth. But my favorite part is that the chef and the restaurant, so that you can avoid it, is called Bros. In Italy, right? Yes, it's called Bros. And the chef, the chef responds, oh, being able to draw a man on a horse does not make you an artist, he writes. The result of your talent can be beautiful to look at, but it is not art. He eventually concludes, contemporary art does not provide you with answers, but offers you great questions. Contemporary cuisine should do the same. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the reconstituted orange slice. Very good. All right. So mine is also food related. Yes. And it is the Real Housewife of New York City, Luann Delisep. Uh, we need lead in music for this, actually. <laughs> hit it, hit it, folks. Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Elegance is learned. Oh, yeah. That is Luann's hit song, Money Can't Buy You Class. And in that spirit, Luann Delisep in town for some cabaret show that she does that's amazing and hilarious. Is that true? She, yeah, yeah. She and does a cabaret is she? show. She's a real housewife of New York. She's the countess. She married some count and divorced him, but she's Where still does the she rank in the hierarchy of real housewives? Where does she rank versus my former Fox News colleague's wife from the Real Housewives of Orange County? Oh, I don't watch that one. So So is, higher. is the new is Real Housewives of New York or New Jersey the highest? Uh New York. Is, deaf, deaf. Is the Naples the Ultra. We're getting the nods OG. from. I'm, I, I'm, and, and women, I'm a studio with three women, and we're getting nods a, across that Real it's, Housewives of New York is superior. It is the OG. It is awesome. Uh, so Luann, 
is she just like loves her royal title that's not even hers. It was like through marriage and she's divorced, but she's the freaking She's countess. keeping the title. Yeah, she's got the goddamn countess. I'm a Kentucky colonel. And will not give it up. So anyways, she does a cabaret show. She goes to La Diplomat, which is like a hip restaurant in D.C. Describe it better. Uh, hip French restaurant. I wouldn't say it's hip. It's popular with everyone. And yeah. It is a fantastic French bistro. It is All right, the Chris, bomb. like, Le gunning bomb. to keep, like, his front-of-the-line status at Le Diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she apparently bounced without paying the check because, you know, money can't buy you class. And then, like, the reporter calls her after hearing she didn't pay the and check. And there was a social media she... flag on this? Is that how that was revealed? No, I think that New York Mag contacted her for comment, like, hey, you didn't pay your check. But how did and they then... know is what I'm saying. Oh, I'm... I, I, I presume, yeah, I'm not sure, but so then she gives a 22% tip, and I was telling Chris, like, if I got called out on something like this, I would be like, oh my gosh, I was immediately notified by, of my absent-mindedness, and I've, they gave, you know, a 300% tip on this, but no, 22%, she added 22%. A, it's it's <laughs> like shocking. Like, the additional 2%? A shocking oversight. It was a shocking yeah. oversight, you'd say. Oh, we're, uh, we're, and, and by the way. In this case, Luann, money actually could buy you a little bit of class, but. have you Are you familiar with the phenomenon of celebrities and rich people stiffing people on bills? Have you ever lived you know, through this? You um, know, so this is only slightly related. I went to get a spray tan once, and the woman told me, you know, Ivanka Trump comes here. And then she was like, terrible tipper. <laughs> I, uh, well, by the way, I, I recommend Jerry Seinfeld announced he's not going to do any more of the comedians and co- uh, comedians and cars getting coffee or whatever order those words are supposed to be in for his great series. But he talks about how much tip somebody wants to pay. I think it's Kate McKinnon or somebody. But somebody wants to pay because he always pays. And he's like, okay, but how much tip are you going to leave? Are you going to leave a Hollywood big tip? Because if you don't leave a Hollywood big tip, what is the one thing that people are going to ask her after we were in here? How did they tip? So you got to leave a Hollywood big tip. So you're you're advising Hollywood big tip here? I mean, if you bounce on a check, yeah. But my, you want to, like, cover your tracks there. I won't like, say— Like, I definitely wasn't trying to be cheap. Here's, like, $1,000. I won't say which celebrity it was. But I went out one evening with a celebrity and some members of his entourage and his then wife. And uh, this was long ago. And heavy drinking was eating and heavy drinking was involved and everybody was doing it. Now, at whenever the restaurant had tired of our company, <laughs> the waiter comes in and is like saying, basically, we have to go. And here's the check. And do you know what this guy did? He goes... I don't have, I didn't, I didn't bring a wallet. And now I know that this person makes, has had by this point already made tens of millions of dollars. And it's like, huh, isn't that interesting that you did not manage to bring your wallet? And I have noticed over the years that among, and this includes wealthy politicians, other people, alligator arms are a real thing. And I bet, and I don't, I don't know anything about Luann Lessup's but if she tried to, if she tried to dine and dash, she would not be the first celebrity to try to get uh, away with it. There's a saying in Spanish that's very funny. They call it, it uh, the translation is slow to draw. Yeah, 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 slow yeah. Slow to yeah. draw, yeah, so, um, well, that is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. 
This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.